Just before we begin, I'd love to just have a word with you today about our time together this morning. Um, we were thinking because it's summer and, uh, you know, because there are a lot of guys playing golf during the summer and who love golf, that it might be a lovely time for us to uh, just do something a little bit different here at Amen. Uh, usually you would come and one of us would be leading uh, a Bible study of some sort. And today will be a little bit different because we've invited someone uh, here from our community and whom you may know uh, to come and just share a little bit about his life in golf as well as a little bit about what his journey uh, spiritually has been. And so at the end of our time together, I think he'll mention this as well, we'd like to leave some time for questions and answers too. So we anticipate just a lovely time together this morning. Um, let me just uh, run through a, a few things with regard to our speaker today. Lauren Roberts has eight PGA Tour wins to his credit, and then 13 Champions Tour wins as well. He played on the Ryder Cup team in 1995 and was assistant captain in 2006. Played on the President's Cup team in 94 and 2000. And there's just a whole lot in between there. Um, he's had a, a wonderful career. And uh, I think you might hear a little bit about that this morning, more specifically. But uh, what we really want you to do is just listen to his heart and his story. And so it is just our pleasure this morning to welcome Lauren Roberts to Amen. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate the opportunity to come and share with you. I know a lot of you guys in the audience... Uh, I probably lost a bet to a couple of you guys in here every now and then, so, but um, you know it's a real pleasure to be here today, and, and hopefully I'm going to share a little bit about about golf. And you know, when John Roberts asked me to come and speak, I said, "Well, okay, how much time do I have?" He said, "45 minutes." I went, "Oh my gosh!" I mean, 45 minutes? I could put on a heck of a clinic in here. You know, we could fit, we could fix everybody's golf game in here. So, um, <laughs> but you know, I. Uh, 45 minutes, you're going to know everything there is to know about me today. And uh, we're going to, like I said, we're going to have a little question and answer period at the end of the day, but uh, we've got a little bigger subject to talk about today. Um, my life. I'm married, great gal, the name of Kimberly is my wife. I have two daughters, uh, Alexandra Roberts and Addison, and Addison Roberts, and uh, Alex is 29, Addison is uh, 24. And I always have to give a shout out to them because there's no way I'd ever have a, the career I've had with, without having a great family. It's a team effort. And I just got to tell you a little story. I mean, we've lived in Memphis since 1992. And we're originally from San Luis Obispo, California. And I just remember uh, Alex was five. Our oldest daughter was five. I'm going to start school. And, and I was in town here visiting. We built a, we built a real friendship and, and built a, a circle of friends here in Memphis before we ever moved here. And I was here visiting, and the family was out in California, and I went out, and I looked at a house, and I bought it. And I called my wife that night, and I said, dear, we're moving to Memphis. I just bought a house today. So you can imagine what most wives would say if you did, if you did that to them. My wife, on the phone, no lie, says, okay, I'll move anywhere you want to go as long as it's for your job. So that, to me, that is a huge team effort. And so we moved to Memphis in 92, and my oldest daughter started school, and uh, as life goes on, I, uh, my daughters are involved in school, and you know, I'm on the road 26, 28 weeks a year, and uh, <clears throat> I just remember getting there, and I was uh, kind of apologizing to my girls one day about, you know, you know I'm going to miss uh, your programs at school again this week. I'm going to be out of town. And they interrupted me right in the middle of my apology and said, Dad, we know what you do for a living. You said, you got to be on the road. We love you. It doesn't matter. And to me, that just says how much your kids understand what you do. And I was just so thrilled and happy about that because they have just really allowed me to, to uh, do something I love to do, and that's to play golf. You know, I started out playing golf, and <clears throat> I had the opportunity to, to speak with junior golfers and golf teams here and there across the country. And one of the things I always love to share with them, because, you know, obviously kids sometimes get disappointed about hitting bad shots, and, that, and, I, and I tell all of them, I said, listen, 
Every one of you in this room is a better player right now than I ever was at your age. I didn't even start playing golf till I was a junior in high school. I just remember starting my, my sophomore summer. Uh, and my sophomore year, I, I played baseball as a kid growing up. I mean, that was the sport in California where I was. I played baseball all year long. And I just remember I, I got to brag a little bit. I, as a sophomore, I was a starting catcher on, on our high school baseball team. And uh, two things got, well, three things got me to change my mind. I remember <clears throat> we're playing a game against our arch rivals. And I hit a line drive to right field and got thrown out at first base. <laughs> and, and the coach wasn't very nice to me by the time I got back to the dugout. So then we're playing another, we're playing another team, Arroyo Grandy. And bottom of the seventh inning, okay, got a runner on third, one out. I look up at the coach on first base. He gives me the signal, suicide squeeze, okay? So, okay, I turn around the bunt. The runner breaks from third base. Here comes a pitch. I bunt. Third baseman's charging in. <clears throat> I bunt the thing over his head. He turns around, has to run back, and still throws me out of first base. <laughs> so I figured, you know, I better find another sport here. So, uh, <clears throat> so you know, I, I played golf maybe two or three times a year with my dad, just messing around. And, and, <clears throat> and my dad was left-handed and never better at 18 handicap. But, you know, I enjoy going out there, hitting it around. And so I decided... After this baseball thing, I'm going to go out for the golf team. So my sophomore summer, uh, I started going to the golf course and, and, and playing a little bit, hanging out a little bit. And uh, we had a great little Muni Morro Bay uh, golf course there. And I would go out there and, and, and hit balls and play. And I really got interested. So I went out for the golf team my junior year. And, <laughs> you know, you're thinking, okay, you're on the golf team. I'm a junior in high school. And my scoring average is somewhere between 85 and 90. Okay, I was a terrible player, but I enjoyed the game. I will say by the time I was a senior, I did qualify for the state championships uh, individually uh, in Southern California. So uh, I did improve, but a little too late to uh, really get any kind of a college scholarship to go play anywhere. So I, I played at our, at our local college, our state university called Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo. And I played there for two years until they got rid of the golf team. So I'm thinking, okay, you know, what's, what's going on here, you know? Uh, so, but anyway, while I was going to Cal Poly, I was, I had a job picking the range and working the bag room at, the, at our local country club there. And I just loved being around. And so after I got out of college, the, the pro there offered me the assistant pro job at the club. And I said, you know, I'm going to take that. So. You know, I was an assistant pro there for four and a half years before I got on the tour. And pro golf now is so different than <clears throat> it used to be. I mean, I'm probably one of the last guys that ever came up this way because literally, I would work my assistant pro job and two days before the qualifying school started, which was the qualifying to get on the big tour now, which that's changed, but I would go play my practice round and tee it up. And Doggone it, I made it through my third try in the fall of 1980. And I uh, got up to the 1980 qualifying school, the finals. Uh, that's the same school that Freddie Couples and Mark O'Meara came out of. Uh, and <clears throat> I just remember the 18th hole, and I, I know I'm close. I know I'm right on the bubble. And it was a little dog leg left to right, par four. And I hit this tee ball, and I just, I just pulled a little bit, and I just kind of drove it through the left side of the fairway up in the rough behind a tree. And I, anyway, I had, to, I had to pitch out. And I'm thinking, man, i got to have a par in this hole. And so I pitched it out down there about 70 yards from the hole. Boom, hit a good wedge up there about two feet, knocked the putt in, and got my card. And uh, that really changed my career life unbelievably. Uh, so I played from 1981 on. That was my first year on tour. And, you know, I had to work at it. I had to go back to this tour school a couple of times. Uh, but finally, there's two things, two tournaments that stick out in my mind in my career. And the first one, Arnold Palmer handed me my first trophy. I played the tour for 12 and a half years before I finally won. And I'm at Bay Hill, and I just remember, uh, 16 was a very reachable par five, and, and I hit I didn't hit that good of a drive. 
Of course, some of the guys I play golf with in here know how I'm not very long off the tee, right, Charles? Yeah, okay, so I'm not very long off the tee. So I couldn't go for the green in two. So I don't make birdie, and I'm tied with VJ and Fuzzy Zeller. I don't make birdie. They both make birdie. I go to the 17th hole, one behind. And I get up, and I hit this three iron. I play way safe left, and I got about a 35 foot putt to get up and down. So anyway, I make a good two putt there. I part the last hole. Doggone it. Fuzzy hits it in the water at 16. Makes double. VJ bogeys the last two holes. I win the tournament. All right. <laughs> 12 and a half years. 12 and a half years to win the tournament. But I do, the, the thing I remember is going to the press room afterwards. And it's awesome to have Arnold Palmer hand you your first trophy. I mean, come on. We all know as golfers know what he did for the game. He really exploded the game, got it into the, into the TV era, and he just was a great personality for the game. And uh, i got to tell you a couple of stories. Arnold, <laughs> Arnold has two things. Ar Arnold has two things that he very, really feels very strongly about. One is you cannot wear your hat in the locker room or the clubhouse, okay? I mean, if you'd walk into the locker room, he walked by, see the hat, he'd come by and he'd flip it off your head like that. The other thing, he did not like facial hair on golfers. And I'm, I'm this, I'm, <laughs> I get to, this is a hilarious story, but. Okay, so I win Bay Hill in 94 and 95. Paul Goidos wins it the year after I did in 96. And, he was one of the first guys that kind of had this full Fu Manchu out there. Now, Paul told me this story. And so Arnold's standing there on the 18th green getting ready to hand him the trophy, and he says, Arnold keeps looking at me, keeps looking at me, keeps looking at me, you know. So we're over there, and he's handing me the trophy. We're standing there doing the pictures, and Arnold kind of turns over me, whispers in my ear. He said, son, why would you let anything that grow on your face that grows on your, I'm not going to go there, all right? <laughs> So, uh, but I remember in the, in the press room, uh, in the press room, there was a, a reporter and, you know, sometimes they kind of ask you questions and I think they're trying to push your button a little bit, you know, to kind of get something to write, you know, and I remember he asked me, he raised, he asked me this question, he said, hey, Lauren, 12 and a half years to win a golf tournament, okay? Uh, gosh, why didn't you just quit? You know, and, and something, you know, he didn't realize that, you know, when you're passionate about something, okay, you love it. You're going to keep doing it. And there, you have a goal in mind, and you're going to work as hard as you can to, to reach that goal. And, uh, you know, I, I, just, uh, I just couldn't understand why somebody would ask me that kind of question. But it, it kind of fueled me. It kind of pushed that button to get me going a little bit. The second tournament in my, in my career that I really remember was uh, winning the Byron Nelson in Dallas. And everybody knows what Byron, especially us players, know what Byron Nelson did for the game, what, what, <clears throat> what he's remembered for. Probably the greatest Christian gentleman that I, I've probably ever been around in, in sport. And he would sit out on the 18th green on Sunday, and he had a little... Uh, hospitality thing there and he would sit there and every group that came off the 18th green you'd go up there and he'd shake your hand and say great plan or just give you a good positive vibe and and you know he used to like to uh, do woodworking and he and he used to carve things and I remember when he passed away in 2006 and a lot of us players went to his funeral in Dallas and uh, as we were walking in his wife was there and she, every player, she handed this thing that, that it's a cross that Byron Nelson carved out of deer antler. And she handed every player one of these from Byron Nelson. And it's in, it's in my pocket every day of my life. And when I uh, go to reach, get a golf tee out of my pocket or get a ball mark out of there, I feel this. And it just talks to me about what is important, what is important to Byron, what was important to his life. And it's just a constant reminder. You all have heard about Ryder Cups. I played on uh, a, one Ryder Cup team in 95, was an assistant captain in, in 2006, played two President's Cups. It's totally different. 
okay? That's totally different than golf. When you're playing a regular tournament and you're not playing good, you know, you can say, okay, I'm going to work at my game, you know, next week maybe I'll get it. When it's Ryder Cup and you're playing for your country, you got to bring it now, okay? Plus, you've got 11 other teammates that you're playing for. And there is nothing, and really, I know golf is in the Olympics now, <clears throat> but really the Ryder Cup and President, that was our Olympics, okay? And I just remember, I have never been so nervous in my life on a golf course. I mean, you're, you're nervous standing on the first tee of Augusta National for the Masters, but I'm telling you, when you're standing there on the first tee, Wednesday practice round, you're out there early and there's 10,000 people on the first hole and I'm telling you, it's a practice round, you can't even bring, draw it back hardly because when you play for your country, it's an honor. And when you go through the opening ceremonies and you all march in and they play in your national anthem and then those jets roar over there, it's, I get choked up, guys, I'm sorry, I love it. I love playing for my country. But, I mean, there's, there's, just, there's just nothing like that. You know, I've had a great golf career. And, you know, I've won some tournaments. Uh, but I gotta tell you about the other side of it, okay? And I just remember, 1983, I'm in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. My wife and I are staying at the Motel 6 down by the airport. It's late Friday afternoon. We, seriously, we have everything we own practically in the back of an old 1978 Oldsmobile Delta 88 driving around the country trying to play the tour. Just missed the cut again, okay? And literally, we're going broke. I mean, we had a little rental apartment out in California and we'd actually subleased it out to somebody else. So we really had no home to go to other than friends, you know? And <laughs> missed the cut again. I came back to that hotel room, that Motel 6, and I got down my, on my knees, and I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I said, Lord, there's got to be something better in life than this. I mean, how did I get to that point? How did I get to that point in my life? I mean, I, mean, I grew up in the church as a kid. I love going to church. I mean, I, I love going to youth group and, and the youth summer camps. And if my parents didn't go to church, I'd get on my bike and I'd ride to church. I mean, I love going. You know, but what had become relevant in my life at this point about establishing a career? I've got, I'd gotten away from what I enjoyed. Okay? I mean... I was searching, and I know that I went to the, the fellowship a few times early out that year in 83, and Memphis actually had a lot to do with that. And I, I just remember coming, and the tour fellowship used to get us private lodging in certain cities with, with church groups as they do. And they sent us to Frank and Carla Brown's house in Memphis. They didn't know us. We didn't know them. And in 1983, that's when my life in Memphis started. They, like, adopted us as family. And so I'd gone to the Bible study a, a few times on tour, and I got to the point where that was the first time that I'd ever heard about having to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ in my life at the tour Bible study. Now, I grew up in the church. I went to the church. Why, you know, why, why was that? Why, why, why did it take so long? Either I was in, got involved, got sideways, got involved in my career. Uh, maybe it was just God's timing. Or maybe, uh, you know, maybe they weren't telling me the exact right thing. Maybe I wasn't hearing. I don't know. All I know is I'll know on that day when I stand before the Lord. But I got down and I accepted Christ, and uh, <clears throat> Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And golf, whatever it is, it's not going to get me there. I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. 
okay? I mean, when I'm on the golf course and I hit bad shots and I can't control, and I can't control my situation sometimes, I get mad. I get mad, I lose my temper. Hey, there are things in my life that I've done that I absolutely, totally regret. I mean, we're all that way. Uh, all I know is I can't ever do enough good to cancel out the things that I've done. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. You know, Christ's shed blood has washed us clean. And it's a free gift. It's unbelievable. It's a, it's a free gift that's just given to us if we accept it. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. I mean, I, you know, I want that eternal life. You know, I want to know where I'm going. Life to me, it's such a blip on the screen of eternity. I mean, it's so, it's so short. And I just remember hearing this from our pastor on, on, the, on the PJ tour. He says, you know, we are not in the land of the living going to the land of the dying. We are in the land of the dying going to the land of the living. You know, I mean, I want that opportunity. My faith in Christ gives me that. You know... We're all going to struggle. You know, uh, you know, we all have jobs. You know, we all have had hard times. Everybody's gone through things here that they don't know why. You know, but accepting Christ did not make all those struggles go away. But what it did was it gave me joy with the expectation of what's going to happen after those struggles. You know, God, God, when I accepted Christ, God did not make the ball go in the hole for me all of a sudden. I mean, I, did, I didn't hit a putt, and it was going over here, and boom, it went in the hole, okay? I wasn't hitting a ball out of bounds, and all of a sudden it would come back in. I mean, that, that doesn't happen, okay? That doesn't happen. But... It just prioritized my life to know what is important. And, I, and we've, we've got to get out there and do what we can do for ourselves. God doesn't do what we can do for ourselves, but he does do for us the one thing we cannot do, and that's give us eternal life. And... Uh, I came to realization of this really in 94 at Bay Hill. I'm talking about that good two-putt I had to make at 17 to make that par. So I got a 35-footer. I run it past the hole five feet. And I stand over this putt. And I say, Lord, give me the strength to hit this putt to the best of my ability and accept whatever happens afterwards. Putter went back about six different ways, came through about six different ways, you know. <laughs> Boom, the ball, the ball went in the hole. I made par. Made par in the last hole, win the tournament. Three months later, I'm standing in the 18th hole of Oakmont. You just saw the Open here a few weeks ago at Oakmont. I'm standing on the 18th hole. I got a six-foot putt to win the U.S. Open. I'm standing over the putt. I pray the same prayer. I said, Lord, give me the strength to hit this putt to the best of my ability and accept whatever happens. I hit the worst putt of my life. I mean, I putted right on weekend. So I don't win the Open. I go into a playoff with Colin Montgomery and Ernie Els, and I go 18 holes with Colin, and I go 20 holes with Ernie, and boom, I don't, I don't win the Open. So what does that tell me? It tells me I have got to get out there and work. But just like I said, God gives us the one thing we cannot get for ourselves. You know, I always like to share, you know, everybody here, has a gift. Everybody has a job. Everybody has a specialty that they're good at. Okay? And you have a, a group of people around that. I've just been fortunate to golf. Golf has been my platform. Okay? That's my, that's my groupies, the golfers. Okay? You all have groupies and other things, no matter what it is that you do. 
And you can have a profound effect in people's lives that are in your group. I mean, you can use your, whatever your specialty is, you can use it to share your faith in Christ. You know, you, you can really make a difference with those relationships. And I, I know I'm very, very blessed to be able to go around the country. Uh, Bernard Langer and uh, Larry Mize and Scott Simpson and myself and Freddie Funk. Sometimes, you know, we have the opportunity to go out and we have the opportunity to go and we do these outreach things where we, we put on a, a, th a big thing just like this. Generally at dinner time, but we... Sometimes we do breakfasts, and we get in and we have a panel discussion, and we and we talk about golf, and we talk about and we talk about careers and things that happened and what we did, and and but it attracts people that like the game of golf, but then it allows us to share our faith, and and uh, every one of you in here today has that opportunity, and I'd just like to encourage you to use it. I mean, it's, and I know a lot of you, a lot of you do. You know, before I close in, in, in prayer, and I do want to open it up for a question and answer, if you guys have some answer, uh, questions you want me to answer. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you anything about golf, my life, my faith. I'm not going to tell you what goes on inside the locker room, though, okay? I'm not going to tell you that, but uh, I would like to say that I firmly believe this. Uh, the reason I'm here today is, is, is that it was supposed to happen. The 61 years of my life preceding today have happened for one thing, happened for one reason. It's for me to be here today. All these things that have happened have happened for one thing. It's for me to be right here today, sharing my testimony with you. And, you know, John Roberts came up and asked me if I'd come and speak, and I said, you know, I'm supposed to do this. 61 years of my life have mattered. If there is someone here today who, who doesn't know the Lord, uh, I really, really encourage you to accept him as your personal savior. Uh, it, will change, it will change your life. I know this is, this is a great study. This is a, amen is a great group. And I thank you for all that you guys do in the community because you all have a voice in whatever <coughs> pod you're in, wherever you are, wherever your life goes, you all have a voice. You know, <sighs> golf's been great, but God's been a whole lot better. All right, before I, I want to close this in prayer here before I open the question and answer, and then I'll turn it back over to Mike and... and uh, but I kind of want to get your opinion. You can ask me anything you want to ask me, but let's go to the Lord in prayer today. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, <clears throat> we just thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and what he's done for us in our lives. Dear Lord, that free gift, undeserving gift, Lord, that you have given us if we just reach out and accept it. Dear Heavenly Father, we just... Thank you for all the men in this room and what their lives mean, what their lives mean in this community, what their lives mean in this world. We thank you for their faith. Lord, we thank you for their commitment. Lord, we thank you for <coughs> everything that you've given us, that we would use it to better your kingdom. Lord, we thank you. That we, you know every heart in this room. You know everything about every person in this room. You know everything about their heart, Lord. We just pray that if there was anyone here that wants to make a personal relationship with you, that you would open his heart at this minute, he would say, yes, I want to accept you into my heart, Lord. Lord, we just pray that you would speak to them. We just pray that we would all come together in fellowship, brothers in Christ. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Yeah. All right, guys. I'm looking at my watch here, and I really didn't use 45 minutes, all right? <clears throat> so I am going to open it up for a few questions today. I know some of you got to get to if you work, but if anybody's got any questions about anything, I'll be happy to see if I can answer it. Yeah. What is the first hour of your day like? The first hour of my day. Well, <clears throat> 
I'm going to admit, I, I get up and I try to have some prayer. I try to have a little quiet time. But obviously, sometimes I don't get it done. That's my first admission. I don't get it done all the time. But I always try to at least be thankful to have another day. Uh, you know, if, I, if I'm a tournament round, I definitely obviously try to say a few prayers. I said, Lord, make my ball go in the hole today, but it, no, it never happens. Uh, <clears throat> but, um, you know, uh, I just try to <clears throat> have a little bit of calmness and peace and be thankful. Yeah. That's when you really. Uh huh. The necessity of the personalness of the religion. Right. Mm hmm. What about that interaction with them caused that to happen? What did they do to help, help you see that? Or well, it's just, it's just the way that somebody that didn't know the way they opened their house. I mean, for heaven's sakes, they'd, they'd let us come there anytime and stay. They had a whole separate little wing of the house they let us stay in, and they gave us their car to drive around in. Uh, but they were loving. That's the main thing, you know. They were they were they were loving, and they introduced me to a lot of great people. I mean, some of these people in this room I know because of them, obviously. Uh, you know, they just uh, <clears throat> they were willing to give of whatever whatever they had, and uh, you know, also you know they would host the uh, our tour fellowship at their house, uh, and you know I had to be there, obviously. You know, yeah. Mm -hmm. You had mentioned uh, that the uh, press room had uh -huh. one and a half years. Uh, yeah. You haven't won. What have you thought about? Have you thought about quitting? Yeah. Obviously, there are tour pros that never win. Right. But have successful careers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there, there are several guys that play, that continue to play. Some guys had a whole career in the regular tour and then came out and maybe finally won on the Champions Tour. Uh, you know, it, it's kind of like golf is your job. This is, I'm going to try to see if I can answer this. You know, when golf is your job and you have an opportunity and there's so much more money involved in the game now than there ever used to be, uh, you, you know, you can, you can make a decent living. But <clears throat> I'm sure, and this is hard for me to answer, but I'm sure there are some guys that are still fueled by, I think I can win, I think I can win. And I'm sure there's other guys that are saying, well, you know, if I make a good living, if I make a good check, I'm okay. Uh, maybe that attitude has something to do with why they never win. You never know. And also there's some other guys, and I know some personally, they have talked to me about they got nothing else in the world. And that's a, that's a shame thing. They got nothing else that they can do that they're going to stay there. And then they just try to gut it out. That's why you see some guys just still out there trying to Monday qualify, still trying to pay because they don't have anything else. And that's a sad thing to me. Yeah. Community. Uh huh. And can you share with us some of your close friends in the Christian golf community? Those people that you rely on for fellowship and mm -hmm. encouragement and support, and maybe yeah. even a story or two. Yeah. Uh, well, obviously, Bernard Langer has become a strong Christian. You've probably, you maybe have heard his testimony. It, it, <clears throat> he, he gives his testimony as. Uh, you know, <laughs> he goes and talks about winning the Masters the first time and then winning the difference of winning the Masters the second time. He likes to say that he won the Masters the first time and used the Lord's name totally different than the second time he won the Masters and used the Lord's name. He likes to share that, <laughs> you know, because I remember it was the week after he won the Masters the first time. He came to the fellowship 
at Hilton Head Island the next week. Bobby Clampett was still playing the tour and, and brought him. And you know, he he grew up in, in the church in Germany. He said, "No, there's no question. I grew up in the church, but it it was a legalistic situation of you know he had to do this and he had to do that, and then once you got it all done, you were okay, you know." And he came and, and he started coming to the fellowship and, and he ended up making the decision to accept Christ. But it's pretty funny how he, how he shares that story about sharing the Lord's name two different ways and two masters. Here's a, here's a totally different example. Here's Larry Mize, who's a, who's a great Christian guy, probably one of the nicest guys I know that ha, has been a believer since, gosh, early, early on in his life and, and, a, and a great guy. And then you have Scott Simpson, who really started out on the tour as someone who really did not like Christians. I'm not going to say he was an agnostic, but he started coming. <clears throat> and the first time he came, Larry Mize brought him. And he's talking about you know, how we all need to be sheep under the shepherd, and he's, he turns around and he says, sheep, why do I want to be a sheep? Why, why, why do I want to be a sheep? He came to the study for two straight years. He asked our pastor, Larry Moody, every question imaginable. Larry Moody, our pastor, says, it, it's, I'm, I've never been with anybody who asks so many questions about, <laughs> about, about this and about that. And he finally accepted Christ. Uh, and then you have, they have me from a totally different background. There's so many guys that have different backgrounds. This, re this reminds me, and I, I can't, I, I'm not going to say his name, but he's a senior player now. He's much older. Uh, Two-time major winner. And when we had a chaplain out on the Champions Tour, uh, Tom Randall was his name. He was more of a missionary type guy from the Philippines. And... <laughs> he used to really try to make friends with everybody out on the tour. And that's what it is. It's about developing a relationship with people in order for you to share Christ with them. And this player used to be openly antagonistic to any of the guys that were Christians or went to the fellowship. You know, he'd drop a couple things on you or whatever, you know. And, and he came running up to Tom Randall one day and he said, let me tell you something about all you Christians. You're nothing but a bunch of hypocrites. And Tom Randall, our pastor, turned around and looked right at him and said, you, you know what? There's always room for one more. <laughs> and, and, it, and, it, and it took him off guard so much. He said, what, what, what? you know, because it just took him off guard. Thank goodness that he started building a relationship with Tom Randall. He started questioning about some things. He came to know the Lord after that. It was a good thing because four months later, he was diagnosed with throat cancer. So you just never know. <laughs> it's all God's plan. You just never know. So there are a lot of different guys out there. Yeah. Yeah. You said you grew up in the church mm -hmm. and you enjoyed going to church. You, yeah. You wanted to go to church. Yeah. But then you never, uh, you never, you, at some point, it moved from that to a personal relationship. Yeah. Uh, is there... Is there some explanation uh, as to what happened that moved you from that point of just always wanting to go and being in church and yeah. thinking of the Lord to where all of a sudden it became a personal relationship? You know, this is something that I continue to struggle with all the time that I think about. You know, if I grew up in a church, why did it take me so long to make a, the decision to accept Christ as my Savior? Why did it take me so long? And... I, mean, I don't know. That's, that's what I said. I, I, I'm hoping on the day that I stand before the Lord, I will know why. Uh, because I love it. Now, I could say, well, maybe I love being around other kids. I loved all the activities we were doing. I you know, love doing all that kind of stuff. You know? Maybe I love the formality of it. Maybe I love, you know, <laughs> hey, I'm a straight line thinker. I got to have all my ducks in a row all the time. Maybe I like that, you know, of knowing that I'm going to do this every Sunday. But... Um, you know, I don't know. I know after I started going to college and got out trying to get my career going, you know, that was, you know, that, okay, that's, I got work to do here, you know. And 
then all of a sudden, you know, you get to a certain level of frustration and those things come back and at least came back in my mind and said, okay, there's something born to this. I mean, I mean, I, I cannot live out of my car basically and not get anywhere. And there's something, there's something different here that I need to deal with. And like I said, through the fellowship, through starting really to go to the fellowship here when I was in Memphis, uh, had a big deal. Had a, that change, it change, it, that's when I finally changed my life the right way. Yeah. What was the most influential person in your life, given all these people you're talking about? Mm. Gosh. I've had, I've had several. Oh, uh, I'd probably I'd probably say Frank Brown, a Memphian. I mean, I've had instructors and, and things like that, you know. But uh, Frank from Memphis here had a had a great circle of friends, and and I'd spoken about this about it. he had he had he had a very diverse circle of friends, and. Um, it just introduced me to a lot of people here in Memphis, and I just made some great friends. And, and you know, Frank uh, was very open about his faith, and he was just so giving. He was just so giving that uh, he probably had the greatest influence because, look, I, ended up, I, ended, it would, I wouldn't have ended up in Memphis if it hadn't been for him. I, wouldn't, I don't think I've had the career. For heaven's sakes, he even sponsored me on the tour in the early days, you know, 84 and 85 when I was struggling, 86. You know, he helped me. So, uh, we just hit it off. I'd probably say he's probably the most influential guy in my life. Yeah, John, John. Do you have one verse in the Bible that's special? Yeah, it's in the Old Testament. It's Micah six eight, and I don't know. I I just I just think it it talks about everything that I should be as a man in life, and it says. <coughs> And what does he ask of you, O oh man, that you act justly, that you love mercy, and you walk humbly with the Lord your God? And I just think that just, it talks about everything that I should be as a man. You know, I should act justly. I should treat everybody the same. I should obey the rules. I should live a, a righteous life. I should love mercy. I should show mercy to every people. I should help people. And that I should walk humbly with the Lord my God. Now that doesn't mean to me that I just need to be humble just to God. That means I need to be humble to everybody. You know, when he says walking humbly with the Lord your God, you're with the Lord, but you're walking humbly, showing that to everybody else. I don't know, that's just, that's just my verge. For some reason it just sat with me, because to me it just described what I thought your life should be as a man. Yeah. 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 Uh, you mentioned some of the older fellows that are yeah. have been leading the charge. Mm -hmm. who, are, who is the new crop that's coming along, and who is kind of mentoring them, and how are you doing that, and, and what are some of the names of the young guys that are taking up y'all's place in the regular tour these days? Yeah, uh, well, you know, like Mike Goodis has come to the fellowship. Uh, Freddie Funk's coming. Uh, of course, these guys are getting older, uh, too. Um, you know, we're, we're, to be quite honest with you, we're a little concerned about guys coming, coming off the regular tour, you know. I, now, uh, the regular tour, guys, guys like Ben Crane, he's really involved. They have a good, strong leadership out there, too. So I'm, I'm sure if some of those guys start moving our way, uh, he'll be fine. Uh, but we're always trying to talk to guys, and uh, you guys know it can be tough. It can be a tough uh, road to share your faith. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what's, it, what's it look like uh, during a tournament week in terms of how you guys interact? 
kind of go on hold during that week? Make no bones about it. <laughs> when you tee off out there, if I'm with Larry Miser, what do you think Bernard Langer's thinking about? He's kicking our butt every week, all right? I mean, seriously, when you go out there, that's the, that's the great thing. You go out there, you, you compete, and once you walk off the golf course, you're brothers. Even when you're on the golf course, you're brother. But you know, doggone it, I'm going to compete, and I want to beat you. I'm sorry. That's just the way it is. But we just know that there's something other than the competition of it. There's the whole rest of life. But you still want to compete, as long as you compete in an honorably, in an honorable way. Yeah. Jimmy? Uh, at 2000, yeah, I, I, I shot, well, I shoot 70 on Saturday to get up there with a chance to win because the weather, I mean, it blew and the weather dropped about 30, it was, it was a, it was a tough round of golf. It really was. Um, I just remember <laughs> I get to the 18th tee and, and we had us on a rain delay and we were on a hold and we were sitting around and then we went back out to finish and man, I really wanted to get finished because I didn't want to come back at 6 o'clock in the morning again and, and tee off. So, I mean, <laughs> I actually putted out on 17, and I ran to the 18th tee. I said, guys, I'm going to go over there and hit my tee shot. And I ran over there and hit the tee shot. I just want to get a ball in play so that we could go ahead and play the 18th hole. And, and I just remember making a good par there and uh, finishing off my round. Uh, but, yeah, you, you want to get finished because there's no way I wanted to get get done but I, it's the first time I ever seen in Augusta National they sold out of every sweater they had and every jacket they had in in the pro shop okay I know you'd like to do that Russ okay <laughs> I mean uh, they sold everything they had it, it, it the weather changed so bad so but it, it was it was fun I just remember gosh I had hit as good and this is before they even lengthened the golf course I had to hit a good drive and had to just absolutely wear out a three iron on 18 after hitting a really good drive for me. So it was playing hard. Yeah. Uh, what are you doing to stay in shape now? How did you, what's the, did you get older? And Who's getting old here? <laughs> you sounded like that reporter in, in the press room at Bay Hill. Okay. Uh, you know, I do go to the gym. Uh, I I do some cardio. I do some light weights, but mostly it's, it's about cardio and and stretching and and core. Work on your core. This is for golf. It's core. I will say that um, some of the best golf I ever played was when I was doing Pilates, and uh, that's just all core centered here. You know, and I think for golf, if any of you have back problems. The best thing you can do is really work on your glutes and your keep your hamstrings stretched, your glutes stretched, you know, and, and because you don't want that pulling your back down. So I think Pilates works great, uh, and I played some great golf doing that. But these new these young guys, I mean, golf has totally changed. Okay, golf has absolutely totally changed. Um, now it's all about. Uh, being fit, strong, fit. And I, and I don't know if you watched Rory McIlroy lately. Okay, I mean, he got really buffed, all right? Really buffed. I don't think he's as good a player now. You don't see the rhythm and the tempo to his game that he used to have. It's all about power, okay? And I, I think he may have gone a little too far. That's just my opinion, but, uh, but that's how golf has changed. Mike, you, you cut me off? Last question. Okay. One, one more. Oh, right in the back. All right. Stop. I'm told you work in. Golf seems to be a game of nice guys, and it's a gentleman's game. Yeah. But it seems like there are a lot of golfers who are not Christian. What, what would you say is the percentage of Christians on the tour? And is anything being done? I mean, you're doing some things, but what is being done? 
Well, you know, that's, that's a tough question for me to answer. Just because you don't come to the, the fellowship on tour doesn't mean you're, you're not a believer. Uh, you know, there, um, there's a lot of different guys that are good guys. Guys that I know that have faith that don't come to the fellowship. Uh, we still have interaction with them. It's, it's up to them. I know some guys that are, uh, are, 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 have good faith that would prefer to be involved with their church at home more. And the main thing is that you need to live your life out in front of them saying, let's get together. You know, uh, let's, let's celebrate Christ together and the idea that, you know, I'm not a Presbyterian, I'm not a Baptist, I'm not a Methodist, I'm a Christian, okay? There's a lot of different churches, it's great, but I'm a Christian. I'm not a specific type of Christian, I'm a Christian. And I think that's kind of the outreach that we kind of need to have with them on the tour. Yeah. All right. Thanks, man. Guys, thank you so much for uh, your attention this morning, and we are so grateful for Lawrence being with us. And really what we hope that you would do is to take something, maybe just a thing or two that Lauren has said this morning, and really be thinking about it. Um, what he does is much more public than most of what we do, but um, the issues are the same. And uh, our prayer is that whether it's golf or whatever area of business that you uh, find as your vocation, that we would all understand that there's more to our lives than those things. And um, what we'd love for you to do is consider Christ. And so as we go today, let's just pray together and uh, we'll be on our way. Father, thank you for my brother and I thank you for uh, the way that you've used him and his vocation uh, around the world over these years. And Father, we pray that um, we would see our lives reflected in some of the things that he has said. And while we're not nearly as public, um, we still have the same concerns and issues that uh, we find in Christ. So um, bless us as we go. Bless Lauren's uh, career as you unfolded for him, for Christ's sake. Amen.